Yeah, it's great to uh, it's great to be able to talk today out of Colossians. It's been a real joy just being a part of Jubilee Church for the last few years. Um, I became a Christian about five years ago, and then about a year after that, found Jubilee, and have just been really enjoying being a part of this family and serving here. So, if you're new to this church, I would just encourage you. This is an amazing place to plug in and get connected. It's an amazing place to learn more about who God is, and hopefully you'll have the opportunity to do that. So um, like Brian said, we are just continuing in our series in Colossians. Um, Colossians is a book that the Apostle Paul, essentially um, just a church pastor back in the days right after Jesus' death and resurrection, he, he wrote to this church in, in Colossae, and he wrote this letter to him. And, and in, in this letter, in about verse 15, he he, he tells us a little bit about who Jesus is. And that's, that's really the question that I want to um, address with us today. That's really the question I want us to go into today is, who is Jesus? Who is he? What was he like? What did he do? What did he say? And there's, there's a lot of places we could go to look at who he is. There's a lot of places we could go to try and answer this question, who is Jesus? We could go to Google. I go there for a lot of other things. Um, but it, it's not a trustworthy place to go to find the answer to such a big question. We could go to pop culture. We could go to our neighbor. We could go across the street to the movie theater and watch a movie about who he is. But really, the most accurate and helpful place to go to answer this question, who is Jesus, is to go into the Bible. And that's, that's our hope today. I know for me, um, if you would have asked me a few years ago the same question, who is Jesus? I, I probably would have said he's... He's a good guy. I probably would have said, I believe in him, kind of because my parents said they were Christians. Therefore, I'm by default a Christian. Um, I live in America. I'm therefore a Christian by default. Uh, I probably would have said he's a good guy. I could learn a lot from him. Kind of like Santa Claus, you know, like he's great to believe in. And if that works for you, go for it. You know, I don't need it, but it's okay. Um, I would have went to church every now and then, but not really been one of those people that was all in, if that makes sense. Um, some, of, some of my friends were people like that. They would, you know, be like, yeah, I'm following God, and I love God, and I'm trusting God, and I love Jesus. And I was like, man, like, you know, back off of that a bit. It's a bit weird. And I had a hard time relating to them. They had different values and different, um, they just lived a different life than me. I really thought it was kind of an odd people. And although I liked going to church, I really couldn't get on with, like, church people. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't relate to them because they were so different um, from me. And you may be in that same camp today, and that's totally okay if you are. You may be someone who's looking in from the outside and saying, I, I, I don't know who Jesus is. I have some thoughts about it, but, you know, honestly, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if I can really get, get on with this whole Jesus thing. And I hope that today's helpful to you in that. Um, but also, we just want to say we're so happy you're here with us to explore this. We're so happy that you can come in and ask the question, is he God or is he not? You can ask the question, was he even real? Was he just... This made-up story like Santa Claus. What, what was he really? Who is Jesus? And so I want to go to the Apostle Paul and kind of pick his brain about who he says Jesus is. And this is how he starts. Colossians 1, verse 15. If you um, don't have your Bible with you, there's black Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. This is the main verse we'll be working out of today. Colossians 1, verse 15. That's page 983 in those black Bibles. Page 983, give you a minute to get there. 983, Colossians 1.15. This is what Paul says. He says that 
He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And where I want to start is really those first two words where Paul says, He is. You ask this question, who is Jesus? Paul says, He is. Who is Jesus? He is. And when when I've read that, thinking about this preach and thinking about just going into this book together as a church, I read that he is, and it really reminded me of something in the Old Testament where Moses is interacting with God. He's having a conversation with God, and Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am. So you ask this question of God, who are you? He says, I am. It's a great voice. I can't have a voice like God, but this great voice from heaven thunders and says, I am. So he's the great I am. Who's Jesus? Well, he is. Who's God? I am. Who's Jesus? He is. I am? He is. I am? He is. You see what Paul's doing here is he's, he's kind of starting us into our walk with who Jesus is by helping us understand that he is the great I am. He's, he's helping us by st- starting us, putting this foundation for us that, hey, you want to know who Jesus is? You want to know what he's like, what he, what he stands for? First, you have to know he's the great I am. The God who parted the Red Sea so that his people could walk through it and escape from the Egyptians. I mean, God parts the sea so they can walk through it and escape from death. The great I am. That's Jesus. That's, that's where Paul's starting. He's laying this foundation for us, saying, this, this person you want to get to know, this person you have questions about, this divine reality, this true spirituality that all of us want to connect with. If you want to know who he is, we have to start here, that he is Jesus, that Jesus is God. That's, that's who he is. This story in the Old Testament um, really it's helpful in thinking about it. It's the story of these three prophets, these three um, followers of the Jewish God. And their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, um, they served under this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And this king set up this idol of himself, and he, he commanded that all the people bow down and worship this idol. And these three prophets said, no, we're not going to worship that idol. We're going to worship the true God, our God. We refused to bow down before. They didn't want to be disrespectful, but at the same time, refused to bow down before this false God. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, if you don't bow down before this idol, I will throw you in a fiery furnace and kill you. And they said, well, (laughs) our God can keep us from that fiery furnace. He can He can protect us from that. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down before your God. We'll die before we do that. So Nebuchadnezzar, just enraged, says, you know, pump up the heat on that furnace. Just rock it up. Make this thing like scorching fire. And his soldiers take the three prophets down. Actually, they fall in themselves because the fire is just so hot. And then these three prophets fall into the fire. And it says that a fourth appeared with them to walk them through the fire. And they came out, and not one ounce of them was burned. Not one piece of clothing from them was scorched from the fire. And it says that the people around looked and saw, man, this, their God must be the real God. Other people saw this false idol that he set up. That can't be it. It has to be theirs. And you, you read stories like that, 
And then you begin, and you get this thing about I am and he is. I am and he is. You begin to understand, guys, that this is like the front door into understanding who Jesus is. The great I am, is that's Jesus who walked with those guys. It's Jesus who's been God throughout all time. If, if I were to build a house and over the front of this house had the banner, who is Jesus? To get into that house, I would have to walk through the front door. To, to begin to explore the rest of the rooms and what the living room and the kitchen and the bedrooms looked like, I would have to walk through the front door. And that, that front door really with understanding who is Jesus, that front door really is that he's God. So I just want to really help us sit on this this morning. I want to help us get here this morning. Something we, this is something we have to kind of get our hands around. This is something we have to really say, okay, if I'm going to walk into the door of who Jesus is, then I have to walk into, okay, he's God. You have to let that settle with us as this deep, lasting reality that cannot be shaken, that Jesus Christ He's God. That's who he is. That's the, almost the foundation of his identity, is that he is God. And if, if you're here and you don't believe that, you don't believe he is God, that's okay. We're still going to explore this together. Like I said, so happy that you're here with us. But really, if, if you want to get to know him more, if we want to walk into a greater knowledge of him, we have to understand he is God. That's who he is. Jesus himself said, I am the way the truth, and the life. That's how he described himself. I'm the way. I'm the way to God. I'm the way to spiritual reality. He said he was the truth. If you want to know truth, our, our generation is a generation that is craving for truth, craving for what's true. Is the government true? Is it not? Is this true? Is it not? If you want to know truth, you don't need to read a bunch of books. <laughs> it's not the first place to go. The first place to go to find truth is truth himself. We need to come to Jesus. He is truth. A lot of us, we're looking for life. We're looking for adventure. We're looking for something to kind of wake us up, to get us out of the nine to five. Jesus is life. If you want life, you don't need a vacation to Australia. You don't need to go jump out of a plane to experience true life. You need Jesus. He is true exhilarating life. He is the essence of life. That's who he is. Jesus himself, he said, I am the bread of life. There it is again. I, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Each of us, we have these inward longings, don't we? We have these inward longings for something more, for something that will satisfy, for Something that will finally kind of quench our hunger, our inward hunger, our inward thirst. E each of us, we have that. We know we do. That's why we run after relationships. That's why we run after a better career with more money, with more status. That's why we run after, I've got to have that shirt or those pants. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. Because we've got this deep longing for something more. And then Jesus comes by and he says, I am. <laughs> I am the bread of life, the bread of life. I am. That's, that's who I am. That's what, I, that's what he wants to be for us. And in this beginning reality of he is God, he's saying to us, I am, 
I'm your creator. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who wants to satisfy and fulfill you. He is, <laughs> he is the great I am. That's who we come to. That's who we sing about. That's who we want to come to know more of today. And what does Paul, what does he go on with? What does he say after that? He says, he is the image of the invisible God. So we know he is, he's the image of the invisible God. You notice Paul doesn't say he's like the image of the invisible God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, wouldn't be like saying Kurt kind of looks like Larry, you know. <laughs> Larry doesn't think so. It's not like saying, you know, like so-and-so looks like Brad Pitt or whoever. But Paul doesn't say like. He says he is the image. He's the image. So when I look at Jesus, I'm looking at the perfect, exact, complete, full representation of who the Father is. Who Father God is. When I look at Jesus, I see it all. I see it all in him. We want to know more about who God is. We want to get to know him more. So many times I, I hear people say, and I've said it myself, I just, I, I wish I, I knew more what God was. I wish I could hear his voice. I wish I could understand him. Oh, guys, all we got to do is look at Jesus. He's the image of God. We want to know what divine reality is. We look at him. When I first became a Christian, I really wished just a few years ago, I really wished that I could live in the Old Testament days. Like the stories I was just telling about, like the sea splitting in half and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like just getting walked through the fiery furnace with God. I just, when I first became a Christian, I thought, if I could live during those days, God, why didn't you let me live during those days? Like, these days are lame. I just come to church on Sundays and go to work during the week and then, you know, go to community group. And like, that's good. I love that. It's satisfying, it fulfills me, but I don't see people like walking through a fiery furnace. I don't see like an ocean splitting in half and then God saying, walk through it. Like it doesn't happen to me. And I, I really wanted to live in those days. And then I, something clicked and I realized <laughs> those guys wanted to live in our days. Those guys wanted to see what we see. Those guys were looking ahead and they could see little glimpses like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could see like, oh, God like walks with his people. But they couldn't understand it fully. They couldn't see what we can see. But they were hoping for, they were looking forward to a day when it would be revealed, when it would be put on display for what God's intentions were for man. When it would be put on display for how God was going to redeem us to himself. And guys, when Jesus Christ came, that was that revelation. So these guys were looking ahead, saying, man, we wish we could see what, it, what the answer is. We wish we could see what's coming. And we can look back and say, we see it. We, we can know it. We can believe it. We can walk in it. This, this truth that, that God put on flesh, that he put on skin and hands and feet and became in the form of a man like you and me, that we could know him, that we could walk with him. That truth, this truth of God leaving heaven where all of the angels 
bowed down and worshipped him, where everything was perfect, where there was no sickness, no disease, no pain, where he was worshipped from beginning of time till the end. He left that to become a man for us so that he could be with us, so that he could be like us. That truth is so much more miraculous than the truth of God walking through a fire with some dudes. That truth is so much more miraculous than an ocean coming, parting in two. That truth will change our lives. And that's what Jesus is bringing us into. That's what Jesus wants to show us. You know that story I was talking about earlier where God and Moses are interacting and dialoguing together. The way that started is that God came in a bush and caught the bush on fire and the bush continued to burn on fire but it didn't like you know it didn't burn up and Moses took notice of that and kind of walked over to see what was happening and then God spoke to him if you if you look at bit a bit longer into that story you see actually God didn't come in the form of a man and speak with Moses face to face that would seem normal that would seem I want to talk to someone, I kind of walk up to him and talk to him and then go away. But he came in a bush. He had to conceal himself. He had to hide himself under flames. And all Moses got was God's voice. He didn't see God's form. He didn't see God's face. He couldn't look into God's eyes because God had to be concealed from him. Because God is perfect and holy. He's true. He's good. He's divine. And Moses was a man that God had created whom he loved but Moses had sinned. Moses, just like us, had, had not walked with God rightly, had not done what was right in the eyes of God. Therefore, he, was, he had sinned. He had, he had polluted himself. And so God coming to this man, if God would have revealed himself to Moses fully, Moses would have been obliterated. Because we know this just from logic and science. What's holy and good and pure can't be mixed with something that's not. If it is, either this becomes not pure and good or or this has to go away. So if if God would have revealed himself to Moses, thankfully he didn't for Moses' sake, he just would have been obliterated because we know God's not going to change. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see God with wanting to relate to his people but not being able to fully engage them not being able to fully come near to them because of this dividing wall of sin, this dividing wall that stood between him and man. But when Jesus Christ came, he came in the form of a man. He came and was able to walk with his disciples. He was able to look them in the eye and talk to them. He was able to put his arm around their shoulder to hug them, to embrace them, to say, boy." He was able to eat and drink with them at a table. He was able to just hang, with, hang out with them. And then ultimately, he, as a man, died for men. Ultimately, he took our punishment for sin on himself so that we would be forgiven of our sin. Ultimately, he, he not only became a man, but he died for, for men. Now that... <laughs> That is a good God. We can see, because Jesus is the image, we can see glimpses of the Father's heart. 
we can see glimpses of how he would respond in certain situations. In John 8, 1 through 11, John tells this story of a woman who was brought to Jesus. Jesus was sitting, he was teaching people about himself, about his kingdom, and the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus and said, look, we just caught her in the act of adultery. The law of God, the law that you're under, Jesus, the law says that we should stone her immediately. We should kill her for committing adultery. And we caught her. There's evidence that she's committed this sin. And they're trying to catch Jesus up because if he says the law wasn't right and he just kind of lets it go, then he's just proved that he's not God and he doesn't honor God. He doesn't honor God's law. Or if he punishes her, what does that say about him? So they're wanting to stone this woman and Jesus says, look, the, the, the first one of you without sin, you throw the first stone. And he gets down and he starts writing on the ground. He starts writing, probably their sins, on the ground. And it says one by one, the men left until it was just Jesus and this woman. Of course, Jesus has never sinned, so he's the only one with the right to stone her. He's the only one with the right to kill her and punish her because of what she's done. Check out what he says. It'll be on the screens. He says, has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So say you come to church on a Sunday morning and you've just, you've just made some really bad mistakes the weekend before, right? You've just done some things that you know aren't right in God's eye. You've just done some things that you know, this isn't me walking with Jesus. This isn't me being true to who he is. This is me, this is me making poor, poor decisions, poor going... When you come in, does God look at you and say, get out of my house, you filthy person. How could you do that and then come into my house? Does he do that? No. We see what Jesus did. Therefore, we can see how the Father is. He forgives us immediately, instantly, totally. He forgives us. And then he says, go, sin no more. Go, sin no more. Guys, when we want to see how God responds, we want to see the character of the Father, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Why does this matter to us? Because like the disciples, Jesus, he wants to walk with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to fellowship or commune with us. But oftentimes we struggle with Jesus. We struggle with really relating to him like this. It's pretty, I think, easy for a lot of us to relate to God as kind of this divine, distant being, to relate to him as holy and far off. That's why we kind of do the confession thing. You know, we pay our dues and then kind of go back to life. But really, when we grab hold of this truth, that Jesus is, he's, he is, he's God, he's also man who's come for us. When we put those two together, we can relate to the divine. We can be friends with, we can rub off on, we can fellowship, we can know, spend time with God. 
What an amazing thing that we, because he's the image of the invisible God, get to spend time with him, get to be with him in his presence. What a gift. What a gift he's given us in that. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, I think so helpfully shows us who Jesus is. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. There it is again. Jesus is God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that amazing? Because he's walked the life that we've walked, because he's walked, he suffered for us, he can sympathize when we go through things. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, he was perfect. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What Paul's saying here is that the great he is has come for his people. What else does Paul say? How does he finish this out? He finishes out with the firstborn of all creation. The first, so he's the image, he is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I, I kind of was confused by that. Firstborn of all creation. I thought, you know, maybe this is saying like Jesus was created and then like, you know, the next day the earth and all that was created or something like that. But actually I looked it up. I went to the Greek, so it was a good place to go. Um, and forgive me for how I try and pronounce this, but I don't speak Greek. Um, Proto tokos pasis ketisos. It's great, right? <laughs> I should be a major in that. So that's, that's what this phrase really means. Firstborn of all creation. That's what this really means. And it means that he was born or begotten before all creation or before any creature was made. It's really the Bible way of saying that he's eternal, that he's the before and the after, that he was before time began and he'll be after time ends, that he is beyond time. That's really the, the Bible way of saying that. And another thing that Paul's saying here is that he's the heir to all things. In Jewish culture, the firstborn son would be preeminent or supreme. He would have all authority. When his father passed, he would be given over whatever his father had. So if it was his father's land, if his father was a king, if it was his father's kingdom, he would be given what his father had. So really what Paul's also saying to us here is that Jesus is the firstborn son of the father. He's the one to whom all of the father's possessions, all of the father's authority belongs. Because he's God's son, all things belong to him. That means creation belongs to him. The trees, the, the oceans, the land, the animals, it, it belongs to him. Everything is his. That means if he wants to kill a tree, it's gone. If he wants to make a new one, there it is. It all belongs to him. It's under his authority. It means that time belongs to him. He's outside of time, but yet he still owns time. So he, he knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb, and yet he knows our end from our beginning. He, he knows where our life's headed. He knows where he wants to take us. He knows where he's bringing us through life. It also means that our time doesn't belong to us. So 
A question that wouldn't make sense to ask would be, how do I spend my time? A question that really makes sense is, how do I spend God's time? How do I spend the time God has entrusted me with? I'd be faithful with that? Well, I just kind of do what I want with that? Am I asking him how to spend that time? Time belongs to him. It also means that money belongs to him. All possessions belong to him. It means that my house belongs to him. My car, belong, my clothes belong to him. My family belongs to him. My paycheck belongs to him. Which is an amazing truth. Because as God says, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve both. You're either going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. What's amazing about that is that if I serve God, he promises to provide for me. Right? So he, he promises, come and follow me. Come and seek my kingdom first. I'll give you food and clothing and shelter. I don't have to worry about, am I going to serve money? Am I going to live for money? Am I going to freak out about money? I have to worry about is, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust in you. And you'll provide for me. You'll give me a job to work. You'll give me clothes on my back. You'll give me food in my stomach. He, he's a good shepherd. He takes care of his sheep. Authority. Jesus has the Father's authority. That's a big one. For me, that was a big one. He has the Father's authority, which means if he says it, it's done. If he says something happened, it's going to happen. If he says stop, it's going to stop. It also, it also means a few other things. I want to um, tell you this story and just read to you the end of it. But there's a story in Luke 5. Um, just begins in verse 17, kind of goes to 26. But really the way the story goes is that Jesus, again, he's in a house. He's teaching. And, you know, the scribes and Pharisees are there, always giving him a hard time like they love to do. And these, these guys, they, their buddy is lame. He's, he's crippled. He can't walk. And they kind of walk his bed up to the house, hoping that Jesus will heal them. But they can't get through the crowd into Jesus. They can't, they can't get to Jesus. And so they go up on the roof, and they break a hole in the roof. Um, I, don't, I don't really know how they did that, but they, they did. They broke a hole in the roof, and they let their friend down through the hole so that Jesus could heal them. And when their friend gets down through the hole, Jesus says this amazing thing to them. He says, And when, they saw, when he saw their faith, Jesus said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, they went on to kind of question him and prodded him. Hey, only God can forgive sins. So if you forgive this guy's sins, then you're saying you're God. And that and I can't imagine Jesus, you know, like, yeah, I am God. That's why I said your sins are forgiven. Like, get over it, guys. But, but that's not what he does. Actually, he then says to the man, look, if it's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to say that, just be healed. Like, take up your bed and walk. Then I'll do that. So he says to the man, be healed. Take up your bed and walk. And the guy's completely healed. So he has all authority. If he says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. If he says take up your bed and walk, you're healed. If you're sick and Jesus says be healed, you're healed. Also means if I stumble, 
if I kind of mess up or I start doubting whether or not I've really received forgiveness, I don't have to wonder those things. I don't have to walk around wondering, is my forgiveness sufficient? I don't have to walk around wondering, am I walking with God good enough for him to be happy with me? Because I can rest in the fact that when I cried out to Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinful man. When I did that, he forgave me. Once and for all, it was final. He forgave me. No one can ever say to me, I'm an unclean man now. No one can ever say to me, I'm a sinful man. I'm a dirty man, stained by sin. Oh, I'll just fall back into the same trap because that's who I am. No one can ever say that to me again. Because he has said, I am clean. And he has all authority. And no one can, no one can speak against his authority. And it over- So if he said to you, you're clean, you're clean. If you've asked Jesus to forgive you, if you've come and began to follow him, if you do that today, he does and it's over. It's done. We're forgiven. We're made clean. So let me ask you this. Who, who has authority in your life? Who has authority in your life? Who has authority over your time? Who has authority over your money, your possessions? Who has, who has authority over whether you believe you're forgiven or you believe you're not? Does Jesus determine those things in your life? Does he determine what happens with your time? Or do you? Do you come to him and ask him, God, what do I, what do, I do with this life you've given me? What do I do with my future? What do I do with my money? What do I do with my friendships? Or do we kind of just get on with life, not really seeking him? It's a game changer when we really believe this, that everything we have is from him for us to steward. It's not for us to do something great with and make God proud. It's for us to steward well. It's for us to be faithful with what He's given us. So the big question, who is Jesus? Well, we know he's God. We know that he's the great I am. We know that he is also a man who came down for us. We know he's the image, the perfect representation. And we know that all things belong to him. We know he has authority. We can rest in that authority. We can rest in this kingship. I love being a son in Jesus' kingdom. I love that. I love being able to have just access right in to the king. If you are wondering, how do, I, how do I respond to this today? How do I respond to who Jesus is? The answer is to trust him. The answer is to put our hope in him, to believe in him. Just come to him and say, look, I want you to have authority over all my life. Maybe that's the first time you've ever done that. Maybe this is the day that you become a Christian, where you say to, to Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my authority. I want to follow and trust in you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and you just need to come back and say that again. God, I, I want to put my trust, my hope in you.